Hi, this is M. Allen Cunningham. I'm an author, publisher, and teacher in Portland, Oregon, and you're in the Atelier. In the Atelier is a place for occasional thoughts on literature, writing, the life of the imagination. Come on in. I'm glad you're here. Today's installment, an atelier visit with writer Kristen Miares-Young. Hi, my name is Kristen Miares-Young. Today, I'm going to bring you into my office where I'm standing at my workstation, which is what I call a desk primarily because I cannot sit at a desk. After so many years being a writer and a journalist, sitting was killing me, quite literally killing me. So I stand. So how do I convey this place to you since you cannot see it? I suppose I'll start with the fabric that covers this workstation, which I will not call a desk. Uh, It is made out of uh, palm fronds but they've been pounded, uh, not just the fronds, but the bark of the trunk has been pounded into uh, soft strips of fabric that are woven together um, into one piece. And then onto that piece are sewn other slight variations of the color, which is kind of an ochre color um, in beautiful shapes and designs. And uh, this came from Kinshasa. It's a good reminder to me that the craft of literature, that any craft takes its time and that it is also okay to show your work. This thing that we do requires us to both hide the work that we've done through revision. We polish and shape what we have made and also to show it. Uh, And I've done that in subduction by giving a meta awareness uh, to the main characters about uh, the fraught history of contact that they are reenacting in their lives. Uh, It takes place in Nia Bay, the northwest tip of the lower 48 uh, Macaw Territory and uh, between an anthropologist and a macaw man who are both in their 40s and in a space of midlife disconnection, having come to this remote place in order to try to remake themselves and find community. So in Subduction, I ended up showing my work by making the book about the concerns that it raises. And in the case of my personal essays, the way I show my work is through narrative asides, uh, digressions that are anything but. And for that, this piece of fabric is extremely handy because I can see the places where its maker rewove places that had come loose, where that person, uh, I don't know if it was a man or a woman who made this, Uh, I would presume it was a woman because of the ways that weaving has often been women's work uh, across cultures, Uh, but I do not know. Then, you know, the thing about having this, 
you know, absolute beauty covering my workstation is that it's been doing that for about uh, 10, maybe even, yeah, I think about 10 years now. And uh, it requires that I never spill coffee on it ever. <laughs> so I have all these coasters on top of it, uh, which keep my uh, coffee circles away from its grandeur. And on top of it, I have a, a little tower that I put my laptop on top of so that I don't have a crook in my neck as I stare at the screen. Um, and most importantly, uh, on the little table where I put my laptop, I have a collection of rocks and feathers and crystals and little tchotchkes that people have given me over the years or that I have collected myself, geodes, uh, here I have a little uh, woven basket that was given to me at a potlatch uh, with a copper coin inside of it. Which goes back to uh, something that the Macaw Chiefs would do uh, back in the day when junks would be set adrift from the Orient uh, with a snapped mast and uh, other also European settle, settler ships would come ashore um, and the metal that they had would be uh, heated and made into very very thin large sheets that would then be given away to uh, signify uh, to whoever received them that they owed a very great debt to the person who had given it to them. Uh, the copper was a recognition of a, a relationality with a macaw chief but it also implied that that chief could call upon you at a certain moment uh, and if you were called upon uh, you might have to give something of very real value um, so I was very honored to receive this copper uh, at a potlatch held uh, by uh, Melissa Peterson's family and in it um, there are some aside from the copper there's some dollars uh, that are also given to uh, witnesses to the songs and dances uh, that are performed there uh, to kind of create a living memory of the map, the social map that that song uh, is in terms of revealing a direct lineage to a hereditary chief. I have also these a uh, little piece of beach glass. One of them was given me by Luis Alberto Urrea, who actually wrote a blurb for Subduction. Thank you, Luis. Um, been incredibly important to me as a mentor and a writing friend. And um, I was in a workshop with him where I actually first began to teach the personal essay. And at one point, he and his uh, wife, Cindy, had gone out to the beach and they collected all this beach glass and they uh, passed it around and we each got to keep one. And at the time, you know, I had been taking these workshops within academic environments. And believe me, no one in those environments was bringing anything to the table except for critique. <laughs> and so to have received this beach glass made me wonder, like, is this a rigorous place? And uh, it was really Luis who taught me how rigorous it is to bring emotion into personal essays, how rigorous it is and needed it is to recognize and make space for emotion within creative writing workshops and for, you know, just generosity. So I'm grateful to him for that lesson and for this little piece of glass, which is uh, right next to some mica. Mica that is one of my favorite uh, soft, peeling, shiny rocks. Um, and a good example of 
the kind of uh, porousness that can be uh, in a very solid structure. Um, I love that you can peel rock. It makes me feel like, okay, if you can peel rock, then that means that uh, it is possible to write this novel. <laughs> I'm working on my next book, uh, Great Mother. Because of that book, I have a bunch of books about that are related to it. Uh, one of them is uh, this book, Sweet Bitter Love, which is the poetry of Sappho, uh, the greatest lyric poet of antiquity. Um, and I've been studying her work in the context of its time. Uh, it survived many burnings um, as papyrus strips and uh, other, I don't know, just relics that were found in the deserts of North Africa, wherever it had survived, it was kind of brought together and many, many scholars have tried to uh, piece together the uh, words and phrases. Uh, there are not that many, you know, extant poems of uh, hers that are all together, but what lines do remain are extremely impressive. And, you know, you can't really get it in English. Unfortunately, I mean, she was writing in, in Greek. And so, you know, her language, her wordplay, her sonic uh, awareness um, is something that translators can only hint at. But that's always the case, right? Even when we're trying to translate from thought to page, uh, it is very difficult to capture the movement of thought, but we can try. Um, also related to uh, that next book, Great Mother, I've had this amazing book called Ecstasy in Secular and Religious Experiences, and it's a compendium uh, by uh, Marganita Lasky, published in the 60s actually, but of all of these literary and uh, biblical uh, examples of ecstasy, and she finds among them continuity of uh, language references, which seem to indicate that there is a feeling that is known as ecstasy, uh, and that it comes in various contexts, whether through divine intervention or uh, lit literary revelation or other kinds of artistic experiences or within nature. Um, there are other kind of biological uh, in the body experiences like childbirth. I believe me, I was not in an ecstatic state uh, while giving birth, but maybe perhaps shortly thereafter. Um, there's also sex. That seems a lot more likely to me. Uh, and I've been studying this because... Uh, this book is based in a mother goddess worshiping cult that is reliant on ecstasy as a means of d divine connection. I am seeing very many pairs of eyes looking at me and that's because I have various tiles of uh, Frida Kahlo um, whose portraits uh, regard me throughout the day. Here she is uh, surrounded with four parrots smoking a cigarette. Um, various curators have said that she put in these small animals in many of her self-portraits as uh, symbols of the children that she was not able to have due to the intense bodily damage she sustained in that streetcar incident in her youth. Um, and they're a good reminder to me, alongside a uh, little literary hub uh, bag with um, Joan Didion on it, also smoking a cigarette, also looking at me, um, but I happen to know that this photo of Joan Didion 
was taken um, out of context in a larger photo um, that included her husband and daughter, who both predeceased her. And so these women who have a merciless gaze, uh, which is rather alike between them, actually, um, are both also lamenting aspects of their lives, uh, which they code into their literature. And uh, that is helpful as my next book is a hybrid of, you know, this historical fiction and this ancient mother goddess worshiping cult. And then me moving through time uh, in diaspora uh, by investigating the archaeological signs of this cult. There's quite a few other books in here. Let's see, I got Girlhood by Melissa Phoebos that's coming out in March. It's going to be fantastic. I'm really excited for everyone else to to read this book. I have uh, White Magic by Alyssa Washuda. Um, that's also coming out from Tin House in April, and she you know, uh, investigates the repeated traumas of finding love within the settler colonial state. Um, James Baldwin's essays, which I come back to again and again. And, you know, there's just all these stacks of books that I get lucky enough to, um, to come into my life, a little, uh, volume three and five of Moss where my work has appeared and which often feel like to me, a, a great connector, uh, to other Pacific Northwest writers. And here I have this kind of wind chime that my mother uh, ordered from a mail order catalog when I was a child. And when I was a mentor, writing mentor at Hugo House, if someone was feeling kind of in a bad way uh, because of their work um, or because of the nature of what they were writing about, I would uh, hold this upside down. All these little balls come cascading out of it and then like hold on to a magnetized strip and then bit by bit kind of drop down onto this chime and it always made people kind of relax and laugh and open up. And so I'm going to conclude with it here. I hope it's not too noisy. Thanks for being with me. (laughs) This is the sound of my childhood. One of the many ways. So Thank you so much to you, Mark, for inviting me to uh, record this visit, and you're welcome back anytime. Bye. Kristen Miatis Young. She's the author of the novel Subduction, published by Red Hen Press. The book was named a finalist for two International Latino Book Awards in 2020. Visit kristenmyoung.com. In the Atelier is produced by Atelier 26 Books. For more information, visit atelier26books.com. I'm M. Allen Cunningham. Thanks for listening. So long for now.